Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Mountain Stories podcast from the Institute for Mountain Research at Westminster College here in Salt Lake City. Our goal at the Institute is to connect people to mountains and to share the stories of mountainous places and the people who live, work, and play in them. This summer, we've been working closely with Dr. Shome Pu on her projects, Mountains and Stories, Building Community Among Asian Refugees and Immigrants. And today's episode is a little bit different from the previous ones we've shared. Today, we'll be hearing from eighth grader Andasia as he tells stories of his father's childhood and his own. I think you're really going to get a kick out of him. Hello, everyone. My name is Andasia, and that is Xia Anda in Chinese. Xia is my surname, and Anda is my first name. My first name means safe arrival, as my parents wanted me to arrive to my destinations safely and peacefully. My family moved to Salt Lake City in 2009, and we have been living in this mountainous region ever since. I live in the foothills in Salt Lake and would like to share a story today. A Story of Wolves and Mountains by Anda Xie. When my grandmother was a child, she once went to visit my great-great-grandparents, her grandparents, in the 1940s. My great-great-grandfather was a hunter and lived in the Changbai Mountain, the Everwhite ma- Mountain when translated to English, in northeastern China. At night, the outside of their house was filled with sounds similar to wailing banshees, making it nearly impossible for people to sleep. My grandmother was told that these were monstrous wolves tainted with the blood of both animals and humans. This may be where my family's feud with the wolf began. In 1977, my dad and my grandparents lived in Inner Mongolia, northern China. My grandparents were very busy at work to add bricks to the mention of socialism and had little time to take care of my dad. My great aunt, who lived in Funiushan, Mountain of the Lying Cow in English, in central China, invited my dad to live with her for a few months. My great aunt was my grandfather's elder sister. She was more than 10 years older than my grandfather. My great-grandparents died when my grandfather was young, forcing this particular sister to not only be a sister, but also a maternal figure to her siblings. They were very close. The Cow Mountain is full of childhood memories for my dad. He would tell us again and again about his life there. I've heard them so many times, I could tell them in English, as I am doing now. On top of the cow mountain and sitting in the clouds, there was an ancient temple. The temple was surrounded by green bamboo forests, and a crystal clear creek ran through the bamboo. Legend has it that an emperor from the Tang Dynasty gave up his throne and became ordained in that Buddhist temple. In the 1970s, the temple served as a headquarters for the local forest workers. For lunch, the workers would be served hot noodles. The noodles were delicious, and the workers were hungry. Yet, the noodles were way too hot to be eaten immediately. Did these young men have any time to waste? Of course not. They needed to finish their lunch fast so they could work hard to build the socialism. One person had the 
bright idea to dunk his noodles into the ice-cold creek water flowing through their worksite. Steam rose threatening the bowl of noodles like a foggy day in London. The problem with the noodles being too hot was solved. However, another problem was created as the hot noodles turned into ice-cold ones that made this worker's teeth get a taste of Siberia. In central China, where the Lion Cow Mountain lies, is fertile and everything grows fast. One year, people ran out of room to store their harvest. A surplus of wheat made a solution more urgent than ever before. Villagers found a cave in the Cow Mountain, cool and dry, and thought it would be a nice place to store the wheat inside it. A large serpent also found this cave and thought it was a great place to call home. The servant had been guarding the harvest, and nobody dared to retrieve it ever since. Dad was a five-year-old boy at the time. He didn't have to practice playing the piano, didn't have video games and other modern luxuries. Instead, he ran all day in the mountains with the children in the village. After a day of frolicking in the mountains, these kids didn't have the energy to annoy the adults anymore. At that time, the mountains were an embodiment of primal nature. Beneath every stone in a creek resided a fat crab. When people put their feet in a stream, a group of small fish swam over to gnaw at their toes. A lot of the land on the mountain was farmland, planted with sweet beans, sesame, and peppers. These delicious tastes still linger in my dad's mouth. Every time my dad cooks sweet beans, he will assume the accent of a fellow in central China and brigade claim as they used to that these beans are the sweetest. Very, very so. Another delicacy of the area was the ash-cooked earthen eggs. You don't know what those are? Uncultured. Food was not abundant in the mountains at that time, and snacks, especially junk food, was non-existent. Eggs at the time were the best junk food that the villagers could get. My dad remembered that my great aunt would put an egg into the hot ashes left over from lunchtime. The egg was then slowly cooked by the heat remaining in the ashes. When my dad came up back from the mountains after a day of frolicking and learned there was a precious cooked egg waiting for him, he plucked that egg from the ashes and plopped it into his mouth as my great aunt watched him lovingly. Nowadays, eggs are common and are bought by the dozens. However, no sorts of eggs would ever beat the taste of one from my dad's childhood. The one he had eaten while sitting in his aunt's arm. The one story my dad retold countless times was one truly horrifying experience. There were a lot of animals in the mountains that didn't hurt people. They helped us, especially when roasted over a pit. A balance must be kept, however, as wherever there is young has to be yin yano. Naturally, the cow mountain housed carnivores. The overlord of those carnivores in this mountainous area was none other than an incredibly ferocious wolf. I'm talking about a real wolf, not 
some kind of malnourished coyote. It's to break into your house and kill your family in the night breed. Under its claws, countless animals had been slaughtered. If this wolf were close by, would you let your child go play in that area? Of course. Dad and his mates went on to play in the mountain. On a planned day when they were picking up branches for firewood, a looming shadow appeared on the opposing mountain top. Its tail was as thick as a Panzerkampf wagon ate, and it looked at the children below greedily. When it imagined its delicious luncheon, its sharp fangs hung out of its mouth. My dad had good sight back then, and he saw this wild beast far away. His heart began pumping, his palms suddenly filled with sweat. He cried out in horror, The wolf! The wolf seemed to have heard him slurp and began to run toward the terrified group of children. The children ran with an inhuman strength as they like to live. Now, I must tell you that Dad was only five years old at the time, and the other kids were all older and st- faster than him. Gradually, Dad started falling behind. He seemed to hear the wolf's footsteps getting closer and louder. An odious smell of the wolf seemed to have been blown into his nose. My dad closed his eyes and was ready to say goodbye to this world. Of course, the wolf didn't eat him. Otherwise, how could I tell you this story? 30 years later, in 2007, I was born in Chicago, Illinois. I've been afraid of wolves since I was a child. Even large dogs scare me sometimes, especially chihuahuas. This thing, they're terrifying. This must have been something to do with the stories I grew up listening to. When I was a kid, listening to the story of the wolf is coming made me scared. Lying in bed that night, I couldn't even blink lest the wolf come out from the darkness and rip out my organs. The duck-swelling wolf and Petjai Volk, Peter and the wolf, were also imprinted in my memory and served as nightmare fuel for my childhood. It's all right, I comforted myself. You won't meet a wolf. Unfortunately, that was not the case. My family moved to Salt Lake City, Utah in 2009. Utah has majestic mountains and the greatest snow on earth. When I was seven years old, one day, my parents wanted to go hiking while I wanted to play video games at home. Not interested in nonsense, my mom dragged me out of the house and stuffed me into the car. Ten minutes later, when the car reached its destination, I climbed out of the car, smelled the fresh air of the mountains. That dissipated my bad mood. The mountains we climbed was near the Utah Museum of Natural History. Here, trees surrounded by mounds of wild grass. When the thunderstorms came to the mountains, clouds circled them and raindrops frolicked among the vegetation. Today was a seemingly regular day in the mountains, yet danger lurked in the shadows, ready to engulf us without any warning. As I climbed up the mountain, I looked at a pair of frightened magpies flying away from an unknown threat. I asked my parents what was going on, but even Almighty Mom did not know what was going on. Suddenly, a faint shadow flashed through the grass below the mountain. A mortified look began to form on my dad's face as a terrible thought suddenly ran through my dad's mind. Was that a wolf? 
Why are these abominable creatures still haunting me? He took another look at the shadow and whispered as calmly as possible. There is a wolf at the bottom of the mountain. Hearing this, my whole family was stunned with shock. My dad was the first to unfree and told my mom and I to walk down the hill quickly. Later on, my daddy said he looked back at the wolf, causing it to cower in the grass to avoid my dad's eyes. This showed that the wolf was stalking us. We ran, and the wolf ran after us. The faster I ran, the faster the wolf seemed to be chasing me. Mom, why didn't you give me the jeans for four legs? Dad, why didn't you force me to train for marathons? Why didn't you both allow me to sit and play Call of Duty all day? At this point in time, I wish that I could fly like a Lockheed Martin SR-71 Blackbird, yet my brain completely forgot the nature of canines. A canine automatically defines you as prey if you run from it. The more you run, the more it thinks that you are a wimp, a walking piece of steak. Therefore, as any logical being would, it chased me like crazy. Who doesn't like free lunch? We finally reached the end of the trail. Unfortunately, we still had to go through a woody area to get to the parking lot where our car was. The branches and leaves of the bloomy trees in this wood blocked out the sun and cast a sense of horror. Would the wolf hide in the shadow behind those trees? It seemed like that monstrous animal jumped out from the bushes at us at any time and tear me to pieces. Even though the wood was only 500 feet at most, it seemed that I had trekked through the lower 48. Believe me, those who say we should protect wolves have never been hunted by one. Salvation at last! After walking out of the woods, I was washed over by a sense of relief when the glint of the family car appeared. I had survived the ancient predator, the heartless killer of the mountains. I proclaim that I'll never hike in a mountain again. Never! However, despite my unwillingness to be eaten by a wolf, I live in beautiful Utah, a state defined by its outdoors, making not hiking impossible. From that, that day on, every time I climb a mountain, the shadow of the wolf see always follows me, quietly watching, preparing for a perfect time to strike. I seem to hear the wolves howl, echoing in the cow mountain and the ever-white mountain at night. It seems that my family's feud with the wolf has not ended yet. Before this story ends, I would like to clarify that the wolf I was referring to in Utah was actually a dirt wolf, a discount wolf, or more commonly known as a coyote. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Anda. I love hearing those stories. I really appreciate you sharing them with us. We'll be back next week with another storyteller, and we hope that you'll tune in again. If you want to look back and hear older podcasts or see what this project is really all about, we encourage you to check out the website at podcast.mountainresearch.org. And in the meantime, uh, thanks to Shomei for inviting us to be involved in this project. 
Thanks to the Whiting Foundation Public Engagement Programs for supporting the project with a seed grant. Thanks to Jeff Nichols for being my co-director at the Institute for Mountain Research. The Institute for Mountain Research at Westminster College is on the ancestral lands of the Ute, the Goshute, and the Shoshone peoples. And we need to give one last thank you to Pixie and the Partygrass Boys for their theme music. They're out playing shows right now. And so, as Naomi used to say all the time, they are awesome and you should check them out. Thanks for listening. Bye. Before-